Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of The Dairy Age. Chagas are running a weekly Let's Talk Dairy webinar series, which will also be made available as a podcast. On this week's webinar, Stuart Childs compares costings of nitrogen fertilizer products to get best value next spring. Okay, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to what is uh, the last Let's Talk Dairy of 2021. Um, so today I'm just going to do a little bit in terms of costings of fertilizer and so forth. Um, it's obviously something that's um, on the cards at the moment for a lot of you, and a lot of talk about it, an article in the journal t- uh, today as well about um, products beginning to move and at the various prices that, they're, that it is beginning to move at. So I've had a good number of calls in the last uh, week, 10 days in particular, I suppose, um obviously you've seen that there's concerns around the price of it and the availability of fertilizer etc so uh what people are going to do is is come into the fore now and there are some people looking to do cash deals obviously in relation to tax positions as normally would be the case this time of year they're getting a lot less bang for their buck than they would have in in previous years and especially compared to this time last year when uh nitrogen was bought quite cheaply i suppose so i suppose it's just uh, just a, a kind of a refresh, maybe. Maybe this is something that's very familiar to you, but uh, maybe it isn't either. Uh, because given by the response that I've been getting to some of the the calls that I've been, or in in terms of the response I've been given to people, sorry, um, on the calls that I've been getting in relation to this topic, it's maybe not as uh, as clear. Maybe in terms of how to compare products with one another and to make sure that you're getting the best value. So I'll just uh, go through a little bit on this. And as I said, I won't keep you too long for today anyway. So so just uh, in terms of casting fertilizer, and I'm just going to look at it on a nitrogen basis here today, um, purely and simply just to keep it simple because it can get a little bit complicated. I, we have Excel calculators that we can use to compare prices as well that we could send to people if they wanted to. Uh, and what you do there is basically you're looking at what's the price of, of uh, urea, basically what's the price you can maybe as well, or what's the price of murate potash, what's the price of superphosphate, and you're trying to, then you use the, the, the figures for those to give you the relative value of the different products that you're offered. So there's obviously various combination products out there as well. I'm just going to focus on your straight nitrogen products for today, okay? So as I said, I there's an article in the journal, Adam Woods and, um, and Aidan Brennan, um, just talking about fertilizer moving and from obviously from the conversations they've been having with people maybe and talking to merchants as well, uh, they have figures quoted in today's paper of 700 euro being paid for Ken and I put in 910 euros here for the urea because they gave a, um, they were saying that there was figures being quoted of 890 up to 930 euros a ton. So quite a significant sum of money, obviously, for fertilizer, especially when you consider that we would probably be looking at the, the kgs and nitrogen figure there of 460 as being the price for uh, for urea in the past, 460 euros a ton, and maybe even consider being dear possibly at that stage. So you can see that the, that's, that's nearly doubled in price almost. So protected urea then, they didn't have any figuring for that. Um, but generally we're speaking, we're talking about uh, 50 euros a ton dearer. And I suppose I'm going to cover a little bit in relation to that. You may have seen an article that James Kearney um, and Tom O'Dwyer and Patrick Forrestal had in last week's journal in relation to uh, signpost programme and, and protected urea on that. And I'll just expand on that a little bit more, I suppose. So um, that's also for, so the kilos of nitrogen here, we've 27% can, that means that in a ton of, of uh, product, there's 270 kgs of N. 
uh, for urea, it's 46%, so there's 460 kgs of N in that, and the same for the protected urea. So how do we price those? I suppose we're taking the price, we're dividing it by the kgs of nitrogen to get a kg per, a per kg of N price. And that's the key thing that people have to do um, in terms of pricing fertilizer at the moment. Now, there is a flip side to this. Um, there is a possibility, given that China and Russia are, are kind of limiting the supply of product out of their uh, respective areas that can is going to be the product that could be available as opposed to being urea or that there will be a restricted amount of urea available. So it, it may not be the case that you're going to be able to get the urea, but at the same time, when you're going to be asking about products, you just need to be aware of what they are in a price per kg. And that price per kg is even more critical uh, in 2022 than it was in previous years, because in general, we're only probably talking about maybe a 10 to 20 cent a kilo difference in the past. Whereas you can see that when we look at can here at 700 euro, as I said, it's quoted in the journal today, divide that by 270 kgs of nitrogen, it's putting per each kg of nitrogen in that bag of can uh, or in that ton of can at uh, two euro and 59 cent per kg. When we compare that to uh, straight urea at 9.10, again, as I said, there could be a variation on that. But if we take the average price of the, of the two prices quoted on the paper today, 910 euros divided by 460 kgs of nitrogen and in that ton of, of urea, and we can see that that's quite significantly cheaper in terms of uh, being just short to 60 cent less per kg of nitrogen, even though you're being asked for 900 euros per ton versus a, a 700 euro per ton price on this. So it's very important that people are, are doing that sum uh, and seeing what is the relative value of them. And you can see that pretty much, I suppose, I'll just do a quick sum here, I suppose 198 a kg uh, for the for the protected or for the urea, um, but 270 means that you'd want to be buying can at 534 euro, 35 euros a ton in order for it to be compa comparable on a price per kg uh, equivalent, right? So then, look, we've spoken a good bit on protected urea. The very first webinar that we did when we went to the webinar series um, for when COVID hit that time in 2019, uh, or 2020, sorry, was on protected urea. We Patrick Forrestal talking about it. Again, I suppose it's not a very commonly used product, but accounted for about five or six percent of total sales. The, the, they're estimating for this year. It, from an environmental obligations point of view, folks, it is one of the main shows in town. Um, now, the complication that could re, uh, result here is the availability of it may be a problem because obviously it is urea that's coated. So, if urea is a problem to get, protected urea could also be a problem to get. However, we really, really, really need to be looking at moving as much nitrogen as we can that we're using on our farms into the protected urea zone, okay? And that, and to put it in context, the figure that James Kearney gave me last week when I was talking to him about this was that uh, switching to protected urea for, in general, um, for, for every farmer, for dairy farmers, I suppose, is going to save the equivalent of 78 cows per hundred. And um, that's the the emissions that are being reduced by using protected urea and yes i'm not going to deny that there are question marks being raised about it as to its effectiveness from some quarters across the country however in general i would say that there are other issues at play there in terms of weather conditions etc we have a trial across so many sites now at this stage in across the country in all different types of of um 
land types, I suppose, and we're seeing consistent uh, returns in relative to can and straight areas as well, um, with straight area being more impacted on by weather conditions during the summer season, obviously. So, okay. So you're going, you're going to say to me here now, I'm telling you that you have to buy it on the price per kg so the urea is cheaper. So, and that is a fair comment to make um, as you look at it on a price per kg there as we're looking at it on that slide there. However, there is a, a concept, or uh, for, as, for want of a better way of describing it, that has come to the fore in, in the last number of months maybe or last number of weeks even, is in terms of effective nitrogen. So obviously we're using protected urea uh, to minimize the losses that are associated with it uh, or with straight urea. So you can see here that we have um, a percentage loss, in loss associated with straight urea in the first column, protected urea in the second column then, and the third column is obviously our 27% can or calcium ammonium nitrate. Um, and the ammonia losses are nearly 16% associated with the um, uh, straight urea and a lesser obviously amount um, in relation to nitrous oxide than at just 0.25 of a percent. There are some losses associated with protected urea, but they're obviously significantly lower than um, the straight urea at 3.3% and 0.4%. And the ammonia losses associated with CAN aren't as significant, uh, but the nitrous oxide emissions are, are the greatest of all the fertilizer products. So you've uh, 2.3% versus 1.49% there uh, in those. So what does that effectively mean? So basically what that is saying is that when we use straight urea, there are percentages of losses fairly close to 16% uh, being lost of the product that's being applied through volatilization, which is the term for the losses to the air. Uh, and then obviously there's lesser, lesser amounts of it associated with the other two products. So just if we go down to the lower table then, what this means is that, and as I said, it's a, a kind of a new concept, maybe effective nitrogen in terms of the kgs per hectare being delivered. So when we take into account the losses um, that are associated with the straight urea here, when we apply 40 kgs per hectare, these losses impact on, on that product and it gives us more of closer to 34 kgs of N per hectare being applied. If we apply protected urea at the same rate of 40 kgs per hectare, it means that we're getting, again, there's losses associated with it. So there are some, there is some loss associated with it. But at, our, at that 40 kgs per hectare application rate, we're actually uh, closer, I suppose, if we round it up, it's 39 kgs per hectare, or to be exact, 38.5 kgs per hectare of nitrogen being delivered to the, to the ground for growth, basically. Uh, and then applying 40 kgs of nitrogen in the form of Ken as well is, is delivering in that sense, um, in terms of effective nitrogen, a similar output as well. However, uh, in what, what this would suggest or what this effective nitrogen can suggest, and again, look, the, there's, it's, it's a new concept maybe for people to get their heads around. Uh, because of there's lower losses associated with the protected urea, there is the scope to actually reduce the application rate because the loss rate is, is lower. So we basically just lost a little over a unit here on our 40 kgs. And if we apply 35 kgs, we're going to get 34 kgs of nitrogen that's effectively available to the plant. And you can see that that's similar to the, to the urea situation here. So <clears throat> the, the idea behind that, I suppose, is that when we go back to this slide here, 
or 208 is is higher on a per on a cash price we'd say but in terms of the effective nitrogen that it's delivering it's uh it's actually not anywhere near as bad so it's probably actually putting it on a pair because if we say that there's approximately 15 percent losses associated with this if we were to take 15 percent off of this it brings us back to 198 as well so they're actually very similarly priced and then I suppose the argument that Seamus is, is making, Seamus Kearney is making in relation to using the protected urea as well, is that uh, you could technically reduce your application rate and get the same level of nitrogen applied. And obviously, given that nitrates consultation document has come out there again in the last couple of days, and there is a 10% reduction going to in, uh, be in force from the start of the coming year, and there's a percent, five percent reduction likely to be applied uh, in 2024 as well, or or being muted, mooted as well. So, from that point of view, I suppose look, the 10 percent reduction I think is quite achievable in terms of uh, tweaking uh, application rates and so forth throughout the season. Uh, going beyond that is obviously going to be a little bit more challenging. So, if that effective nitrogen piece is is um, is is real realistic i suppose or we can see the the benefits of doing that we we can also see a saving in terms of nitrogen here so if we can save five kgs on that kind of an application rate it means we probably save one to two kgs on other application rates throughout the course of the year which is going to be an extra one or two units uh you multiply those up it could be six or seven it could be 12 or 13 units over um six or seven rounds there during the main season as well so it's an important uh, element to consider i suppose and again, just I think it's it, like it's coming out very strongly from down down the the, the roadway here for me in the um, in the research center in Moor Park that uh, we have environmental obligations to meet now, uh, and in particular around the ammonia, um, we're we are very much on the brink of getting fined there, and agriculture is extremely responsible. It, it, look, there's there's no denying agricultural's responsibility in relation to ammonia emissions and protected urea is a solution to that. Uh, so we should be looking to uh, move as much nitrogen product that we can to that um, source of nitrogen for, for future. And an example of that would be uh, Johnstone Castle now use all protected urea for the nitrogen applications and use straight P and K, or we say O730, or superphosphate or murate of potash to correct their, their um, P's and K's if necessary. I don't uh, actually have, uh, there's a question in there in relation to 10, 10, 20 and 18, 6, 12 pricings. I haven't got prices at the moment. They're changing on a regular basis. So I didn't want to go quoting anything when I didn't have something today. But again, um, people need to just have a look at those prices. And uh, I'll tweet out something there later on, maybe in relation to pricing the compound fertilizers as well, just so that people can maybe have a look at that. So um, just, I suppose, just come back to this then. Um, so we've talked about the price per kg and you can see that down along there. This is our 259 a kg for the, the can that we've spoken about and somewhere in the region of the 208 mark maybe and the 198 mark for the, the, the urea or the protected urea. Uh, so where does that put us? We say the value that's generally put on grass in the springtime as part of the PPI would be um, 16 cent a kg. In reality, that is actually a, there's greater value being on grass uh, in the springtime, the coming year, because of uh, the cost of it associated with growing it, etc., and the replacement value that it's going to have over silage, which is going to now cost quite significantly more to put back in. So, if we can offset silage, uh, there's a greater value on the grass as well. However, that aside, 
it does mean that we need to get a very good response uh, per kg of nitrogen applied in order to justify going with the nitrogen, I suppose. Uh, and I suppose we need to be very cautious around this in terms of uh, there's a justification point, um, and but there's also the importance of that it's important to spread nitrogen, some nitrogen early as well. So conditions need to be right. We will cover this again uh, in January in advance of going, spreading fertilizer and so forth and slurry. But the, we need temperatures to be going in the right direction. So greater than five degrees, not spreading in uh, when there's going to be a risk of, of losses associated with runoff, etc. Adhering to buffer zones is so, so important in relation to this for two reasons. Fertilizer straight into a river is, is a pollutant, obviously. Fertilizer that lands in the river grows no grass for you. So two meter buffer zone for spreading of chemical fertilizer is an important uh, element in terms of trying to achieve the, the changes in water quality that we need to achieve. And I would say that there's probably a lot of uh, people guilty of maybe not spreading along uh, water courses correctly, or, and it's not intentional, uh, but there is fertilizer getting into water courses. And the same is true of slurry spreading a little bit too close, maybe a heavy shower or rain that wasn't predicted. There's nowhere else for that slurry to go and it may be potentially into the river overland. Uh, so if we adhere to the buffer zone, so 10 metres from the 13th of January for the A category, um, from the 16th of January from the B category, and from the 1st of February for the C category, uh, or C zone for slurry, if we 10 metres for those first two weeks post the opening period, um, and that will all help in terms of reducing uh, losses of nutrient into water courses, which will reduce that. But then also, I suppose, as I said, the, when we bear the cost factor in, in mind here, we need to have reasonable levels of growth to justify uh, spreading fertilizer at the current price. However, it, there, it, there is work that's showing that a little bit um, early-ish, I suppose, uh, in terms of February applications is going to be a benefit in terms of the amount of, of grass that's grown. And that's important from the point of view of when we hit the start of the second rotation, we're generally tight. Uh, so not spreading nitrogen in spring of 2022 is not a good idea because that will make the start of the second rotation even more painful. It will mean that we will be on high levels of feeding, which isn't going to be cheap. We're also going to be on silage, which is going to be expensive to replace. So we need to be careful that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, basically, when we're considering our early nitrogen applications. So again, as I said, we'll cover that in another webinar in January. Uh, but it's important to point out that some nitrogen is required and it's a very, very important point. Uh, and I'll make it here, I suppose, in, at, at the last point. So just to summarize what we've done there, it's important that people do sums in relation to buying fertilizer. I suppose in terms of the quantity of fertilizer, I haven't covered that. Uh, the general consensus that I'm hearing back from uh, merchants and suppliers and so forth is that they, are, would, they would be of the opinion that it, it would be advisable to buy what you need up to maybe the end of March, maybe early April, and enough to cover first cut silage and then look to go to the market again at that stage. That could work both ways, folks, unfortunately. The suggestion has been there that fertilizer prices are going to come down in March, potentially, but there is also now some talk in the, in the, in the industry that they're going to harden at that stage. So you may be no better off it could potentially be slightly worse off, but you could be slightly better off. It's like a game of roulette, roulette, basically. You're just rolling your dice and hoping for the best in this scenario. However, at the current price, there's no point in buying fertilizer that's going to be stacked up in a yard 
for a good number of months before it's being used. Uh, and there's also concerns around supply issues. So I suppose stockpiling like the bread and the, the milk in relation to the storms, there's probably no justification or there is no justification to stockpiling fertilizer and people shouldn't uh, probably be inclined to do that um, because it means that there's going to be fertilizer in yards maybe and other people may not be able to access fertilizer. So if everybody just gets enough for what they need in the short term, it means everybody will get some. Uh, and then there's also the possibility that the cost associated with that might actually um, improve as the year goes on. But as you well know, that can vary. And nobody nobody that I talk to nor I can give you a direction in that. People have to do their own, roll their own dice basically in that regard. But the suggestion, as I said, has been that it would be buy enough to get you through the springtime and cover your first cut silage. And after that then, um, we will be looking at going back to market for to purchase for the summer applications then at that stage. So do the sums and buying the fertilizer. Price per ton is not the best way to compare value, especially when we're comparing um, Ken and Urea. They're not, it's price per kg and there's no two ways about it. If you have P&K in the mix, as I said, uh, you need to look at the values of those as well. So there are calculators that can be used in relation to that, simple Excel calculators, and we look, we'll make those available over the next number of days. And a very, very important point here is that you need to spread nitrogen to grow grass. Now that may be nitrogen in slurry, but it's also going to be nitrogen in chemical fertilizer. And you do need to spread that to grow grass. There is a concern out there that we have people thinking that the nitrogen is expensive to buy this year. We're not going to spread it early. Uh, and by early, I mean just, uh, I don't necessarily mean super early. I'm just talking about that there will be early, uh, February, depending on your location, February, March application, early March applications of fertilizer. Again, we will cover that in more detail in a number of weeks time. Um, but nitrogen is required to grow grass. And the concept that uh, we're not going to spread nitrogen in the springtime isn't going to do anybody any favors because uh, the more nuts and silage that you feed, um, it, the, in, the higher the increase in your cost per, is going to be. And the other thing is that it won't grow any grass free out in the, in the fields either. So um, you do still need grass to be growing from uh, April onwards at, at the very minimum. So in order to have that, we have to supply it with, with nitrogen, okay? Um, I suppose that's pretty much it for today. Uh, stop sharing there. Um, so as I said, today's last uh, Let's Talk Dairy of 2021. Um, we will be back again in 2022. However, there will be slight change. So we'll be back on the 6th of January, but the 6th of January, the Let's Talk Dairy platform is going to be uh, doing the once a day conference. So we're going to have to register separately for that. Uh, don't be put off by it if you're not interested in once a day, um, uh, because we Emer is actually going to be talking about some of the trial work that they have done here in the last number of years at varying periods of once a day. So it's not full once a day study necessarily. It's uh, once a day in the spring, once a, once a day in the autumn, or once a day a combination of both. Uh, and the research work that's showing up from that um, is going to be covered in that once a day conference on the 6th of January. And then we will be back with the normal uh, um, Let's Talk Dairy on the 13th of January. So there will be a different link for the 6th of January and you will have to register and that will be going out um, on Twitter and on all our social media, etc. And people that would have registered for the Once a Day conference last year will be contacted in relation to that as well. Um, so we'd like you to tune into that because there will be some good information, as I said, not necessarily for people who are thinking of going full-time once a day, but just in relation to the Once a Day options that people have at the start and the end of lactation as well. 
So look, I'd like to finish it up for that. Uh, at that, uh, I'd like to thank you all for tuning in during the course of the year. I very much appreciate you taking the time out to to tune in. I uh, hope you've enjoyed content. And as I said to you before, if there are topics that you'd like us to cover, by all means, feel free to email me uh, and let me know. And I'll try to get to them if I can. I may not get to them all, obviously, but um, I'm always looking for some ideas or want to know what people on the ground are looking to know about. Um, it's not always what's in my head is going to be the right topic at the time. So, um, again, thanks very much for tuning in. I wish you a very happy and peaceful Christmas, and I hope you can stay safe and healthy uh, and take care. And um, we'll see you in 2022, please, God, and uh, enjoy the Christmas. So thank you. And thanks, Padraig, in the background as well for always looking after the recordings as well. So thank you, everybody. Take care. That's all for this week's Let's Talk Dairy webinar series. And don't forget to look out for more bonus episodes each week. I'll be back with our usual Dairy Edge interview on Monday, so do listen in then. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey, and thanks for listening.